Well, let's take a short time to study. We'll finish a little early tonight. Our study is in Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 30. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. I'm just kidding. Second Chronicles 30. This is kind of an obscure little passage uh, that the Lord led me to today, and I love it. It has some tremendous spiritual application for us tonight. Whether you're a teenager or an adult, whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been in the Lord for decades. Let me give you a little context as you turn, because seeing context is always important. When we look at what came before, we get to understand why this event happens at this time. When we look at what happens after, we get to see the application of the current event. So context is always important. If we pull this passage out on its own, we don't understand what led up to it and what followed it. Now, the context is, as we said last week, Israel's divided into two nations. What are the nations? Do you remember? Judah and Israel. Good. How many nations are, how many tribes are in Judah? Two. Good. How many tribes are in Israel? Ten. Good. You guys are very good with hand motions, right? So we've got two tribes in Judah, Judah and Benjamin. Jerusalem is in Judah. We've got ten tribes in Israel. That's the nation to the north. And these nations are divided and they're going through a series of kings. Some kings are good. Most kings are bad. And in the wake of the end of David's kingdom and Solomon's kingdom, the nation divided and became a mess. Now, Judah was the nation where uh, Judah was the nation that had more kings that followed the Lord. And it wasn't a great record. Probably 33%, 40% of the kings of Judah were kings where the Bible says, and they did what was good in the sight of the Lord. Many times that 40%, uh, it says after that, but they didn't do something or they didn't do this or whatever. So there's not a sterling record in Judah. Israel was far worse. I think there were three good kings in Israel after Solomon. So this is a mess. The nations are divided. There aren't good kings. Now, prior to the king we're going to look at in a minute, there were three kings. And I'm telling you this because it's important to see the foundation that lead to the decisions that Hezekiah makes. The first king before Hezekiah, three kings back, was a man named Uzziah. We've studied Uzziah before. We know that he was favored by the Lord. He started strong. He sought the Lord. God blessed him. He stopped seeking the Lord. God took his hand of blessing off of him. Uzziah made some very selfish and foolish mistakes, sinned against the Lord. God made him a leper, and he died in lack of repentance. So that was three kings before. Uzziah's son then took over, and his name was Jotham. And Jotham followed the Lord and Jotham, uh, the Bible says, became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord. That's another study. We'll do another time. He ordered his ways before the Lord. After Jotham was his son and his son's name was Ahaz. And Ahaz was the exact opposite of his dad. He made images to Baal. He burned incense. He burned his own children in the fire as a sacrifice to Baal. And then he compromised in an alliance with Assyria. And that turned into a problem because Assyria then took some of the people of Judah captive. And then Uzziah, rather than turning back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I messed up, please help us. Instead, he chose to shut the doors of the temple and he made altars to himself, the Bible says, on every corner in Jerusalem. 
So you've got Uzziah started well, finished poorly. You've got Jotham who did a good job. You've got Ahaz who messed up from day one. And that leads us to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was Ahaz's son. And chapter 29, if you're there and you see verse 3, says that in the first month of his reign, he opened the temple doors and he started to repair the temple and he brought the priests back to Israel, uh, to Judah, and he called them to consecrate themselves before the Lord. And from chapter 29 up to chapter 30, he restores worship in the temple. There's praise, there's burnt offerings, the people are consecrating themselves before the Lord. And everything takes a dramatic turn from where Ahaz was. Now pick it up in verse 35 and let's read in the middle of verse 35 down to verse 36. Then the service of the house of the Lord was established again. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. All right. So we've got a good place here. The Lord responds to what is going on. And Hezekiah seems to do everything right. He calls the nation out of the rebellion. He calls them back to worshiping the Lord. And he says the priority for us is that the Lord comes first and the Lord is foremost. Now, there's a spiritual principle here because the Lord will always bless things when we have them in the right order. The Lord will always bless things in your life, teenagers. The Lord will always bless things, parents, when we have things in the right order. And there is no order that is right if the Lord isn't first. So the Lord comes first. Everything follows after that. And if we have that order where the Lord's first, God will bless it. But it can't just be words. We can't just say, oh, Paul, that's great tonight. Yes, the Lord comes first and I'll put him first in my life. But tomorrow we live for ourselves. That doesn't work. God knows that hypocrisy. So our words have to be backed up by our actions. Now, Hezekiah does this and he backs it up in every way possible. He restores worship. He establishes the temple. He provides the priests to come back in. He calls the people to repentance. He brings everything to the right place. It's a sharp contrast to what his dad did because his dad was making altars in every corner. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Worship me, worship me, worship me, worship me. I mean, Ahaz was was just crazy. So Hezekiah says, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to make spiritual reform. And the people could have resisted that, but they don't. They rejoice. We see it at the end of chapter 29. So everything looks great, right? The nation has a righteous leader. He's calling them back to faith in God. The temple's restored. Everything seems to be on track. This should be the start of national revival. There should be a movement of the Lord. God, uh, the people should come back to God and, and they should call on the Lord and God will bless that. And if that happens, other nations don't stand a chance. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. When the people call on the Lord, the other nations shudder because Judah has the Lord of hosts on their side. And now maybe they can get back to the days of David and maybe have some influence on Israel to the north, which is apostate and walking away from God and worshiping Baal and Asherah. The potential for what's going to happen here is huge. Well, let's go to chapter 30, verse 1. Now, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, notice both nations, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, those are the tribes to the north of Judah, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. 
to the Lord of God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. Since they couldn't celebrate it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. All right, let me stop there. He's calling both nations to come to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover. They can't do it right now. There aren't enough priests to execute celebrating the Passover. So he's waiting. Pick it up in verse four. Thus the king was right in the, the thing was right in the sight of the king and all the assembly. So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, that's south to north, that they should come to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not celebrated it in great numbers as it was prescribed. Verse six. The couriers went all throughout Israel and Judah with the letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king, saying, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those of you who escaped and are left from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord God of your fathers, so that he made them a horror as you see. Now do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he's consecrated forever and serve the Lord, your God, that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land for the Lord. Your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Now, this is kind of a curious passage. Because. Even knowing the history of the Jews and even knowing their chronic inconsistency throughout the Old Testament, what happens after chapter 29, verse 36 is unexpected. In verse 1 of chapter 30, we get the sense that Hezekiah is greatly encouraged by what's happened, that the reforms that he's put in place have taken hold and that the people have embraced them. And that it's not only kind of this nationwide thing, but it seems like the hearts of the people are engaged. So Hezekiah moves forward and he says the people are getting it. They, they seem to understand what's going on. So he comes up with this fantastic idea. Let's get Israel and Judah together. This will be a bipartisan effort. Sound familiar? to be a bipartisan effort we'll get israel and judah together the one thing we can agree about is that we need to celebrate the passover so let's get everybody to jerusalem and let's celebrate the passover now why the passover because it's the greatest feast israel had it was a reminder of the deliverance from oppression and the faithfulness and the amazing mercy of the Lord to get them out of Egypt. And it was a picture of salvation and it foreshadowed the cross. So Passover was was the feast. Now, we know Passover, right? That the, that the spotless lamb was shed, that it was killed, and the sacrifice was made, and the blood was poured out as a covering, and they put it on the doorpost, which represents the cross, because they put it in the shape of a cross on the top of the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord would come over, and by the mercy of God, he would pass over that house that had the blood as a covering and all throughout Egypt as the firstborn son and every house died and all throughout the darkness of that night they'd hear the wailing of mothers and fathers discovering their sons dead they would sit in their house having taken the lamb and they would trust in the blood to cover them 
So they're pointing to Christ. They don't know it yet, but they're pointing to Christ. So he says, let's celebrate this. This will unify the nation for the right reason. And even for a short time, we can all gather together and we can praise the Lord for his goodness. Now, Hezekiah does it right. Look back at verse three for a minute. He doesn't rush it. He doesn't say, well, it's time to celebrate Passover. We got to do it right now this month or we can't do it. He says, no, wait a second. We don't have enough priests. We need more time to prepare and consecrate ourselves so that when we go into the house of the Lord, we don't mock his goodness. I was thinking about this today. How we prepare our hearts to come into the house of the Lord and to come in the presence of the Lord. When we come to this place, do we have hearts that are clean and that are consecrated? Do, do we prepare our hearts for what we're going to do to enter into the house of the Lord? Or is there a carnality in our hearts? Are we, are we calloused? Are we, are we, are we feeling kind of, well, I don't need to confess. I got some stuff going on. The Lord knows what that is, but, but you know, I got a little anger in my heart tonight and I'm, I'm feeling some, some difficulty and, and we just kind of walk in and we expect everything to be fine. When we walk into the house of the Lord, when we go into the presence of the Lord, we need to consecrate ourselves and prepare ourselves. So Hezekiah says, we're not ready. We don't have enough priests. So we're not going to rush into this. Let's take time. Let's consecrate ourselves so we don't offend the Lord in any way. Now look back at verse 5 for a second. Notice too here that he did this because they celebrate they had celebrated the passover for a long time and the law said you need to come together as a nation and celebrate so not only is hezekiah being wise not only is he being tactical not only is he trying to bring people together and unify the nation but he's also saying we need to be biblical because the Bible says we're supposed to do this. You guys know my loser dad, right? He built altars to himself. How crazy was that? We need to tear those down. That's an embarrassment to my family. But let me tell you, in my kingdom, we're going to do it differently. We're not going to have altars to me all over Jerusalem. We're going to tear all those down, and we're going to do what the Bible says to do, and that is to call the nation back together. Now, think about some of the options that he could have taken here. He could have said, you know, the people have been great and they've responded to my call to come back to the Lord. And, and, and you know what? That's enough for now. Let's do these reforms kind of incrementally. Or he could say they've shown good faith. They're kind of weary. Ahaz, my dad was a jerk and, and, and it was rough. So, so let's give them a break for a while. Or he could have been logical and said, you know what? It's fruitless to try to unify with Israel. They're not going to do this. So why bother? Let's just be insular. Let, let's just worry about Judah right now. I'm not going to mess with Israel. Let's keep Passover in house. If Israel wants to rebel against the Lord, who cares? But Hezekiah wasn't ruled by those reasons. He was ruled by the word of God. And he said, we're going to do what's right before the Lord. Now look back at the invitation here in verse five. We're going to get to our application. This is not a casual invitation. This is not a suggestion. He says, this is a decree and a proclamation from the king. And to communicate that, he gathers a whole bunch of couriers and he gets them in the king, in the, in the palace. And he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to personally write a letter to the whole nation, Judah and Israel. And I want you guys to go out 
and travel to every part of the nation, from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north to the Jordan River to the east to the Mediterranean in the west. And I want you to cover everywhere. And in every town you go in and you take this letter and you say, I am commanding the people of Israel and Judah to return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. This is not a suggestion. This is not, I hope you'll come. This is not, if you have time, we'd love to have you in Jerusalem. It'll be a, no. He says, this is the decree from the king. Don't fall back into the rebellious mindset of your forefathers. Don't harden your hearts. Don't stiffen your necks. When you did that, God made you a horror. Some of you are in Assyria now because of this. Don't be stiff-necked. That's, that's where you're like this, like, I ain't doing nothing. Don't, don't mess with me. Don't tell me what to do. You ever seen your kids do that? Scary, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not doing that. Forget it. He says, don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't be proud. Instead, yield yourself. Now think about those two descriptions for a minute, because this is important. There's a very visual picture that God gives us. Either to be stubborn and stiff-necked and resistant and proud or to yield. He says there are two options. Lukewarmness is really not an option because lukewarmness is basically saying to the Lord, uh, I, I don't want to make a decision. It's, it's cowardly. I don't want to choose to follow you and I don't really want to openly choose to follow me. So I'm going to kind of sit here in the nice warm middle and do nothing and be blah. And God says, that disgusts me more than anything else. If you can't make a decision which you're going to follow, then I really have no time for you. So choose. You're going to be unfaithful and proud and selfish, or are you going to be yielded and worship me and serve me? Now, let's bring it together. Hezekiah says, we have a bad history, and God's disciplined us for it. And we need to stop this cycle in its tracks. So let me tell you what the Lord's going to do. Look back at verse 8. He says, God's given us four promises. We won't face God's anger and we'll actually experience his blessing if we yield to him. And second, those that were taken captive will be brought back. And third, God is gracious and compassionate. That's a promise. That's a fact that God can't change. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That's a promise of God. That's who he is. So God will help us. God will bring our people back. He'll be gracious and compassionate. And fourth, he will not turn his face away. Look at the text. If we return to him. So we've got a king who's honoring the Lord. We've got. The, uh, the positive restoration of worship. We've got the people responding. We've got a calling to all the Jews in Israel to return to the Lord and worship at Passover. Judah's already in board. And despite their differences, we would expect that it would be a slam dunk that tens of thousands of people of Israel would say, you know what? It's time to go to Jerusalem and let's go worship and celebrate the Passover. Look at verse 10. So the couriers pass from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, and as far as Zebulun. But they laugh them to scorn and mock them. 
Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem, and the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Now let's, let's bring this to a close. And let's review again what's happening. When the couriers go from town to town in the northern ten tribes with this command from the Lord, come to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover. This is a decree and a proclamation. You must be here. When they go into the towns with this logical and spiritual word from the Lord, with something that will bring blessing from the Lord, they're not only met with indifference, but people mock them. And people ridicule them and people scorn them. The words literally mean they made fun of them and they showed contempt. So here comes the courier into town. I have a letter from the king of Judah. I'm going to read it. Everybody gathers in the square by the word of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Come to Jerusalem and worship at the Passover. This is a command for all the people of Israel and Judah. And the crowd, are, yeah, all right, let's go to Jerusalem. Come on, Ethel, start packing. Let's go. We got to get down to Jerusalem. The crowd starts to jeer and mock and ridicule and spit and show contempt and laugh. <laughs> are you kidding me? Why would we go to Jerusalem? Celebrate the Passover. God doesn't care. We don't need God. Think about all the things that they said. The hearts of the people are so far away from the Lord. When Hezekiah makes this call, their mocking and scorn isn't against him. It's against God. We don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. What a statement on the climate of the nation. I was thinking today, in many ways, Second Chronicles 30 describes our nation. Many people are in darkness. Many people don't care about God. Many people are resistant against God. They have no uh, regard for him. They're mocking him and they're scorning him and they're trying to change what he says is right. If you don't believe that, look at the dramatic shift in social morals in terms of things like gay marriage or abortion or the pervasive nastiness that I'm becoming more and more aware on TV, on the Internet, in media. It's just getting so much more dramatically worse. And yet, there's still a majority of faithful people that are calling on the Lord, that are following the Lord. And I love how it's described. Look at verse 11 and we'll conclude. I love this verse. It just jumped off the page at me today. It says, Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Can I give you five very quick thoughts, like a sentence each? First of all, these men were sensitive to the Lord. They recognized that when the Lord is at work, listen now, that they had to be there. When you see the Lord working, run to it. When you see the Lord working, don't say, I don't know, I better, I better see if, I don't know how I feel about that. No, when the hand of the Lord is working, you run to it. 
because God says, I want you to gather in Jerusalem and celebrate what I have done to deliver your forefathers and how I've shown you salvation. And these men are sensitive to the Lord and they say, we need to get there. Second, would you see that word? Nevertheless, what does that mean? That means that these men knew that there was going to be a public rejection of what they were doing. They knew that it was going to be unpopular. They knew that there was going to be pressure from people. Where are you guys going? Uh, we're going to Jerusalem. Didn't you hear the king? <laughs> come on. Really? Seriously? What? What? Come on. You're not going down there. Yeah, we are. We're going to Jerusalem. Why? Why would you do something stupid like that? Because the Lord called us to come to Jerusalem and worship him. The Lord, come on. Teenagers, you're going to face this a lot. You're going to take a stand for the Lord and people are going to go, what do you think you're doing? Come on. Seriously? What? Give in. These men didn't give in. Third, would you see that their their decision was public and it was obvious because it was such a contrast to what everybody else did that the Spirit says to us, oh, by the way, while everybody else was rejecting this, there were some men from Manasseh and Zebulun and, and what was the other one? And, and Ephraim. And they decided to go to Jerusalem. Uh, let me highlight this for you so you know that not everybody turned on God. There were some people that went. Sometimes we find ourselves out on our own and we're taking a stand. And that is not the time, listen now, to hesitate or to shrink back or to look around and go, I'm out here on my own. What am I doing? I look like a fool. God says, keep going. I'm watching. I wonder if these men ever went back. I wonder if they could go back. They had burned their social bridges, right? They they, they had... They had faced ridicule from people. I wonder if they ever went back. Or whether they said, you know what? We're staying down here with people with convictions like us. Fourth, they made the decision to do it independently of each other. There was no social media. So it's not a flash mob. Hey, let's get together. Text, 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 text. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. We're going to meet on the road down to Jerusalem. Anybody want to come? Some guys in Manasseh, some guys in Zebulun, some guys in Ephraim. Purposed in their hearts, we're going. And I really wonder, and I believe this is true. I can't prove it, but I believe it. I wonder if the Lord brought them all together on the road to Jerusalem at the same time. What are you guys doing? We're going to Jerusalem. What are you guys doing? We're going to Jerusalem. Because God brought them together. Because they were like-minded. And then look at the last thought. The motivation behind their actions was that they humble themselves. Pride demanded staying put. Maybe joining in with the national mockery. (laughs) Going to Jerusalem. But they knew what was right. And they knew that to obey, we're going to have to be selfless. To obey, we're going to have to do what's right. Listen now, every day we're challenged on this. Teenagers, every day at school you're challenged on this. 
Every day in social media, we're challenged on this. Every day in our relationships, in our families, in our friendships, in our work, we're challenged on this. I know what is right. Now I've got to decide whether or not I'm going to do it. Because if I do it, it requires humbling myself and not making it about me, but making it about the Lord. So it says they humble themselves. That's the only way we get confidence. But it requires taking a stand when other people don't. And look how the Lord blesses it. Verse 12 says that Israel came together, just a few. And the Lord put his hand on Judah and said, You've been the ones that have obeyed me. You and these men from Manasseh and Ephraim and Zebulun. And now I'm going to bless them. And Hezekiah wasn't discouraged. He didn't say, Oh, why didn't more people come? This was such a failure. I can't believe. See, sometimes we get so pent up, right? With why isn't anybody else following the Lord? I'm trying to. And God says, quit it. Find like-minded people and worship me and let me work through you. You know what? My hand is on you. And I'm going to give you one heart and I'm going to bless you. And Hezekiah strengthened the nation. And he pushed them forward and he dedicated the work of the Lord and God blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. It's always easier to follow the Lord when there's a crowd, right? But sometimes God says, stand out on your own and follow your conviction and I will work through you. Nevertheless, there were some men from Manasseh and Ephraim and Zebulun. And they didn't listen to the peer pressure. They didn't listen to the ridicule. They didn't listen to what other people said. They didn't care what other people said. Because God said, come to Jerusalem and worship me. And they said, we're going. Let's close our eyes. I don't know how the Lord's challenging you tonight. I know he's challenged me in a lot of ways today. Thinking through this passage and trying to think through the implications of my own life. teenager this is a challenge for you tonight I'm glad you guys are in here I know you wanted to have study tonight but I'm glad you're in here because you guys needed to hear this there are going to be people that constantly push against you to not stand for the Lord and the Lord will bless you when you stand for him even if it means being alone even if it means being ridiculed God will help you and adults, it's no different for us. In fact, it may be worse because ours is more subtle. Member of your family, somebody at work, friend who thinks you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you go to church? Why would you follow the Lord? Why would you read your Bible? Why in the world would you go out on a Wednesday night to a prayer meeting? Are you kidding? Don't shrink back. Don't be hesitant. We need to be like those men that came down from Israel and met on the road and said, we're going to Jerusalem. God called us to stand for him. God called us to go worship him. Let's go down there and worship him. This is going to be awesome. And when they got there, they found like-minded people. Lord, bring like-minded people around us, including the ones that are in this room together tonight. Give us a boldness to stand for our faith.
Help us not to worry about what other people are saying, what other people are thinking, Lord, because somebody needs to stand for you and that needs to be us. Stir that fire we sang a bit earlier, Lord, in our hearts when the attack certainly comes and when people tomorrow give us a hard time and ridicule us and oppose us. Help us to remember this passage that we're going to stand firm for you. Strengthen us by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our time together to pray and to sing and to fellowship and to study. Lord, what a rich time to be able to do this. Encourage us and bless us and help us in the days ahead, Lord, that we would be faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.